Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. and welcome to the first guest episode of Idealistically. Thank you so much to everyone who has shared the love and shown some support for the podcast so far. I am so glad to hear that it has resonated with people already and that you're all ready to jump in and start imagining. It's just, it's so nice when an idea that you're really passionate about actually connects with people out in the real world. So yeah, that's just made me so much more excited to get started. As you will become aware with each episode of the podcast, you will know that I like all of my guests to introduce themselves. We'll get to that in a second, but this episode just made me so happy by the end of it. It was basically exactly the sort of thing that I had in mind when the idea for this podcast came about. It's fun, it's silly, but it's also impactful and we have some really great conversations about art and campaigning and all the ups and downs that come with enacting social change and yeah it's just it's a really good episode and I hope that you will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. As with all episodes and just the show going forward in general I am doing this all of myself virtually via zoom making sure that the sound is syncing up properly Um, so there may be a couple of imperfections here and there but hopefully you can hear us loud and clear and it doesn't take away from the amazing conversation that we're about to have. Just as one final note at the top of the show, at about nine minutes in, Gina talks a little bit about sexual assault and sexual harassment in regards to her campaigning work. I'll put the timestamp in the description if you want to skip ahead so that you miss that part. First of all, Thanks for thanks for coming on. I feel very like blessed that I get to have very cool conversations with very cool people. So thanks for being here. Do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself as if the person listening has no idea who you are because you're going to know yourself best. Okay, yeah. So my name is Gina Martin and I'm a campaigner and writer. And I'm most well known for the campaign that made Upskirting a Sexual Fence in 2019. That campaign went on for two years. Um, but since then I've worked with Instagram and Naomi Nicholas Williams and Alex Cameron to change Instagram nudity policy. Um, I'm, a, I'm often fundraising, I have an arts business and effectively my work is kind of all centred around gender equality and then as white people, I think just thinking about how we fit into social justice movements and where we can help. Um, and that's kind of me, I guess. I think the first... First time I found your work, I think, was back in, like, my fashion blogging days. And I read, I think, Olivia Purvis's blog, What Olivia Did. I think she did an interview with you. And I, I think that was the first time. So it's been it's been several years since I, I've been aware of your work. So it's nice to sit down and chat. So jumping straight in, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of an ideal version of the world? It's a big question. It's a really big question. But that's a good thing, because we get to imagine and discuss it. Um, I think the immediate thing I think about is nature, because when I 
think about the world it's such a that's such a global question that if I went into like structures and stuff we'd be talking about very specific cultures and so if I think about what the fu- the future world could look like I think about preserving nature because I don't think there is that without that so <laughs> I imagine it to, like I, I picture I get pictures in my head I'm not like someone who has a narrative I just imagine things and feel things more than I hear them and I imagine mm-hmm. like an like a lush like flourishing like land like flourishing nature that's why I wish it was like if it could be anything different I love that and is there any like space or place that you know of now which you kind of go to and it's like that is what I want to hold on to there's a I grew up in in visiting cities a lot so I and I wasn't super connected to nature as a kid like my parents weren't camping parents and like there was no do you know what I mean I was from a small village but it's only since I've been older that I've like really gained an appreciation for nature and that's because partly because I lived in Greece on a boat for a year working on a boat in um, the Sporadis and so that place like when I think of like nature and like the beauty of it like I don't really think of lush green fields I think of the ocean and I think of mm. like the coast in Greece and like Alonisos, which is like a um island I used to go to on my route with my work in Greece I wasn't on like a super yacht I was on a 30 foot wooden boat with three people just so we all know the context of where I what I was doing I wasn't like on like Lionheart I was on like the shittest tiny little pirate ship living on that um and there's an island called Alonisos and it's stunning and Greece the Mediterranean is like notoriously um been ruined because in the 80s they used to use dynamite to fish so they used to bot they used to throw it into the ocean and bomb underwater and all the sea life would rush to one area and then they'd catch it so it's there's not a lot to see in certain parts of the med but alonisos is one of the protected parts of the med in Sporades, and it's basically a nature reserve but um an aquatic nature reserve and so you can't go and fish certain things there and all that kind of stuff and there's just like monk seals and jellyfish and oh, just what else sea urchins everywhere and it's just beautiful because the communities there it's like little taverners and everyone's just like catching their own fish and it's just, I don't know it's just that just makes me feel like oh like I want to cry when I think about that place I love that yeah I feel like often like you say like people do jump to thinking of like lush green spaces and we forget about the sea and how it's freaking huge and we don't know a lot about it still so thanks for bringing up the ocean because, oh of course yeah. always I love the ocean it's beautiful I'm scared of it <laughs> really scared of it but I still love looking at it <laughs> Um, what would you keep from the current world for your ideal version? I would keep, like, creativity. I'd keep, like, music and art. You know, like, all of those, like, more nebulous, less measurable, more, like, Mm. feeling things. Like, music and art and, like, illustration and, like, dance and, like, you know, all the, the arts I would keep, I think... I have a deep affinity for the arts and like I really want to hold on to those so whatever new world we would go into I would hope that they'd be a big part of it. I think I part of the start of this podcast was like embracing my artistic side and how it goes into activism and how actually you know like imagining and creating visuals or even just having those conversations can help us get there. My life is creativity and activism that's my those are the two things and they work so well together because 
I think, because with activism or campaign stuff, you have to be able to imagine stuff. You have to be creative about the way you get around things. Like when the processes tell you you can't do something, you have to be really resourceful and think and connect dots because ideas are just two things connected that aren't previously connected, right? So you just have to connect all mm. these different dots. And creativity really helps you do that. So if you, I feel like if you can have an outlet outside of direct activism, like painting or art or music or whatever, you're better at connecting dots inside activism and creative things and solutions, which is probably what we need. I've especially found with, obviously, like my focus is climate. I've found that like, it's really good to kind of nail down the concepts around like emotions and how you know we connect with nature in an emotional way or just like the climate crisis is really scary so that's kind of yeah that's how I I I see it in an artistic way a bit about you we will talk about about you and your work um with the upskirting law could you just give a little a rundown of what that is for anyone who doesn't know yes so um, when I was 25, in two, 2017 it was, I was at a music festival and family festival, daytime, not that that should matter. And um, I was with my sister and I'd actually just moved back from Greece, what I was previously telling you about. So I hadn't seen my sister in like a year and I, in Greece, I've, you know, made £1.75 an hour, basically. £1.75p an hour. So I didn't really, I didn't own anything, I didn't do anything, I didn't have, you know, money. I just worked 24-7 on the water. And so when I came back, I was like, oh, London let's do some stuff I hadn't seen my sister in a year so we went to this festival and we were waiting for the band to come on stage and um a group of guys started hitting on me and my sister and I sort of said no 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 for about 40 minutes they just kept saying really rude stuff and then to teach me a lesson I think because I said no um one of them or they might have worked together but I think one of them took photos up well he I know one of them definitely did but he took photos of my skirt without me knowing and then he sent them to everyone around him and I kind of sensed they were all laughing at something and I saw one of them looking at the photo on whatsapp that he'd been sent and I like had had a gin so I grabbed the phone (laughs) everyone's always like you're so brave I was like I was a bit drunk (laughs) slightly drunk at the time um and I grabbed the phone and I ran to the security and the police uh, no security and then they called the police and then they basically looked at the photo because they had to see that it was me and they were like there's not much we can do about it so I looked into the law with the help of a law student friend because I couldn't read the legislation it was too intellectual too academic for me I didn't understand it but I used people around me and figured out there was a loophole in the law and that that language didn't exist in English and Welsh legislation but that upskirting had been a sexual offence in Scotland for 10 years and when I found that out I basically got inundated and I mean like unbelievably inundated with stories from people who it happened to who from like seven year olds whose teacher had been doing it to them in school and he hadn't been arrested because the law was very hard to use to arrest people or uh, charge people Um, to like 85 year old women to like people my age like trans people uh, all kinds of people get in touch with me telling me it happens to them and then I was like oh okay this is like a massive problem and the law isn't caught up to technology so I started a social media campaign which I then took on to traditional media like tv and then I used that to get a lawyer pro bono um, to represent me and then we came up with a legislative solution that we got all the best legal advisors in the country to corroborate and sign off and then we went to parliament and we presented that and we got MPs to back the whole idea and we, pre- we tabled bills and we eventually changed law and made it a sexual offence in 2019 and what that means is that 
It's part of the Sexual Offences Act 2003, section 67, and it exists in law. So basically, if anyone gets upskirted, even if it's not for sexual gratification, because that's what the Sexual Offences Act is, but if it's for distress or alarm, this legislation will cover every single instance and um, it's everything from fines to being on the sexual offenders register to jail time for the most um, violent and repeat offenders um, like the first two men that we prosecuted were um, one was a convicted paedophile and the second guy was seen upskirting a young woman in a supermarket and they found 250,000 photos of children on his phone so it, I think it's a bit of a gateway behaviour and hopefully the thinking was is that being able to hold people accountable and it is majority men accountable for this act early starts to find people who are part of a continuum of violence who are doing other things or who are pushing boundaries in other places and that's what we've found with it. That law is now is usable and if it, that happens to you or anyone listening, you can use it. I appreciate you going through all of that. I realise you've probably answered that question one too many times at this point. So thank you for explaining it. Um, The reason I wanted to discuss it was because I guess within activism, it's quite hard sometimes to actually see really tangible change and to like actually, yeah, be able to pinpoint where something has made an impact. Um, So I was wondering, like, has seeing that happen like helped you see social change in a different way or see you know the possibility of a new future in a different way yeah it that's a really interesting question that no one's ever asked me and my answer is going to be irritating because it's not going to be simple it has helped me see because at the beginning how do I articulate this I have to preface this by saying if that's how you say preface um I have to preface this by saying obviously when the law so I started that campaign when I was 25 I'm now 30 so obviously my politics have changed quite a lot in the last five years as someone who full-time is a campaigner so is full-time learning I don't have a job like a regular job in an office like this is my job so I'm learning all the time so I have moved politically to a different place in terms of what I would that now work on in the future but when I was working on that and the law changed. I was in an office job, working full time. I cared about, so like I read feminist books, but that's kind of where I was. I was like, wow, isn't it amazing that people Mm. fight with their lives for these things? This is really interesting. I'm learning a bit more about what it means to be human in the world, but I was a white feminist and I was kind of there, you know? I wasn't much further on than that. When the law changed, there was this overwhelming sense of like, holy shit like how did I do that like how have I changed the law and not to be like trying like oh my god no way did I do it but just like a a regular working class person who has no um like history and politics and law like I'm very unacademic actually I'm very creative Mm -hmm. but I, I don't understand those institutions and I didn't before I went into them and so there was a a a certain amount of hope that came out of it for me that it wasn't even about me doing it it was just like it, it shows that if you you can learn the processes, you can't learn what's right and wrong. You can't learn to care about those things, but you can learn the process of parliament. You can learn how to work with a lawyer, you, can, you know? So that was quite hopeful and it did feel like a concrete change. However, looking now, looking back on it, because it's almost five years ago when I started it, what it's shown, that the experience was so hard and the experience of, you know, I'm in therapy because it was really effed up like the experience of doing it and that reform and closing that loop in the law is good but I look back on the way I talked about these institutions when I was working in that campaign and I'm like oh like 
the way I talked about the police, the way I talked about the justice system, the way I talked about like crime in general, the way I just talked about that institution. I, I saw it as, oh, this is the system and I have to change something within it because there's nothing after, there's nothing other possible. I wasn't idealistic enough, I don't think. I was quite pragmatic in the way that I was like, I've changed this because we can't go anywhere else than that. We can't abolish these systems or whatever. And now I believe more in the unmeasurable stuff, which is probably an ironic thing to hear, but it's almost like I've seen the belly of what the measurable stuff and the concrete quote-unquote stuff takes, what it's like inside how successful it is how hard it is and when i see like communities organizing and like all re- you know real grassroots activism that isn't about the state i'm like mm. oh that's it because the, the things you can't measure are actually the most important things most of the time and i really believe in those now in a way that i want to go forward and work in that way and i probably won't go and do like another like let's criminalize something or let's change a law because that's fine and that's great we need that and i'm not i don't regret that i did it but there's something magic in the stuff you can't measure because i needed the things i couldn't measure to change though i needed the public to push and i needed the cultural shift in the thinking about what upskirting was and all that unmeasurable stuff was the only was the very reason I could do the concrete thing. It's made, at first it was it gave me hope because it was concrete, but as time's gone on, it's made me realise that, that the stuff you can't measure is actually the most important thing because that's cultural and that's community and that's where things really change without the gatekeeping and all the bullshit that was up there. I, I really appreciate like people who are able to take the time to reflect and just be open about, oh, I probably would have done it completely differently now because I've learnt since then. It's literally like the classic thing i think kalichi did a, po- a a tweet recently where she uh, talking about the george floyd murder and she said i don't want the prison system to exist but i also want derek chauvin i don't know how you pronounce his last name because i fucking don't care about him but i also want derek chauvin to rot in 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 prison forever like how do i yeah. i'll be unpacking this later oh. like you know it's like I'm, that's how I feel. It's like, I'm glad I did this thing to change the law because that, that needed to change. But at the same time, can we have another option, please? You know, it's really hard yeah. to reconcile those two things. Yeah, how do you how do you live out wanting to break out of the system when you're already in it? It's so tricky. Going on from that, I know that you want to sort of move away from talking about the upskirting stuff and like you're more than just that as not only just a human but also as a campaigner like you care about more stuff it's like when I was interested in fashion like that was my thing but now I'm climate justice activist and I don't want to just talk about clothes I want to talk about how everything is interlinked what what are you kind of hoping to focus on more now um like where is your your passion lying for changing the world in whatever way you can I think it for, for after after the law change I was really held up by a lot of in oh god I always try and say this in like a nice way but it sounds like I'm being ungrateful but I was just dragged a hundred different ways by people that wanted uh, write this or do this or can you pose for this or can we interview for this or can you say this or can you hold the sign or can you or can you give me advice or can you consult on this or can like it was just that for literally a year and 
when that is happening and the mead you know everything's happening 100 miles an hour and i'm doing like lots of press and lots of media because i'm thinking in my head okay i need to educate on this law because no a law doesn't work if people don't know how to use it or they don't know it's there so i ha- i was like right now the law's changed and it's useful my job is to let everyone know what it is why it is etc so i did all the media offered to me and then only after realized oh they don't want to they don't want to talk to me because to see what the law was and what it is now and how we can use it. They want to talk to me because they want to profile a, I wake up and put my pink suit on and I'm like, smash the patriarchy, girl boss for life. And I go in and I just fuck with politicians. And that's just what they just wanted, that aesthetic and that idea. They didn't want to talk about the minutiae of the law and all that kind of stuff. And so that's where my feeling of like, I'm the upscaling girl comes from. It's just the way in which I was held up after the law change. It's not It's not that I did the work. It's not that that's why people know me, because that's fine. That's just why people know me, because it was a huge visible campaign. It's just the way I was held up afterwards was a bit uncomfortable in some ways. So I wanted to... I didn't want to. I just did continue to talk about the things I cared about that were outside of that, because um, I always cared about more things outside of that. It was just a, one campaign I did, however big it was. And now it's become abundantly clear in the last year when I've actually been able to sit in quiet rooms with myself for longer than like an hour, which I'm not exaggerating. I don't think between 2017 and the end of 2019, I would struggle to think of a time that I sat in a room for two hours and just thought about my work or thought, I can't, I can't tell you I did that for like four years. doesn't make a good activist, to be honest. So... (laughs) Um, now I've been able to do that for a year. It's like, I want to really like work on myself as a campaigner. Like I really want to like educate myself and like unpick the last five years and like figure out why I did what, who was I doing what for, you know, like I really want to just dig into like the last five years and like be like critique it, like look at it objectively and like figure out how I did it and then figure out what I want to work on and not just I spent the first year after law change being asked what are you changing next and I just wanted to say I'm having your nap because I was I was literally broken yeah. and it was like oh no hang on you can change the law and that's not enough so I need to that's not normal so I need to like not answer that question or just say I don't know yet because for a long time I just I just say things I cared about I guess I'll do this or this or and so now it's like no I don't have an answer for that like now my answer is I'm gonna really unpick the last five years and I'm gonna do lots of research on this well there is one thing which is this voting ID bill which is I can't talk about it without feeling like I want to smash a window so (laughs) I'm so upset by that concept so I'll probably do a lot of work around that and researching that at the moment I've actually been researching like access to democracy for young people and voting for like the last six months so I might do some stuff around that in elections but other than that it's like I'm I'm writing a lot I'm learning a lot I'm trying to do the thing we say in activism, which is that if like I change myself, then I change my work and that changes things. I, I really was in a place where I could have basically stayed at the level that I was and the politics I was in 2018 um, because people would have wanted that because they want the upskirting girl in the media and all those kinds of things. But like that my obligation, my responsibility as an activist is to figure work on myself for the next year figure out what my politics are, figure out where I stand on things and then create some really good work that isn't rushed and come and give the work the time it deserves, right? Because this is important work, like you can do it badly and you can hurt people in the process. So I'm just really allowing myself some time to like figure everything out and work out where I sit on all these topics and everything that's happened in the last year and a half and then come back with something that 
is really good for people and isn't just rushed because I need to be seen to be doing something. Most people don't change a law in their life at all. And so the fact that you have is like people expecting you to do more than that is is wild because it's like, well, that should be enough. Like, obviously, go on and do more, but it's like, gosh. I think I've set, I set people's expectations high because like when you, the first campaign you do is you change national law, then it's like everything else you do after that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's not. In my head, it all it's all matters. But to the people that are judging you, hiring you, you know, all the, the to the system, it's like, oh, I don't care about you going into a community and doing this. I want to see you in the red suit doing that. And it's like, yeah, but this over here, the community thing is what I want to do. And that's what matters. So it's really getting OK with that because I've been programmed for like the year after the law changed to be like, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. That's not, you know. So working on that in therapy a lot and figuring out like, what do I care about and what do people want to see from me? Those are two separate things. And are people even really, are, is anyone saying the home thing? I wonder what Jane Martin's going to do next. No, you're not that important. Like, it's just because you've been asked that in interviews for the last three years, you think that's what people are thinking, but they're not. And also it's kind of like, in terms of activism in general, like one, you didn't, you didn't choose this, like you did not choose to become an activist. And so for a lot of people, like activism is like, in a way like survival it's not something you do for the accolades to be honest like i say this a lot like people ask on panels like i don't know why but it's like you know what's life does it feel like is it when you get that win and you're like i didn't feel like not to be not that this is the answer you want but like i didn't feel a lot i just felt fucking relieved and i just cried for like three hours because i was broken and it's not i don't open these books and like do this research and like go and talk to survivors and be like this is fun it doesn't feel fun it feels necessary like if if i if i no one had told me about any of these things or if i never educated myself on any of these issues i'd be painting i'd be an artist i'd be in advertising still i'd be just be doing a job like and i'd probably be less stressed <laughs> probably have more money even though everyone's perception of if you have followers you have loads of money but i i spent all my money on the upscale cover um it's not a fun job but it's a necessary job and that's the reality of it, not the like, how did it feel when you won? What, the one second over the two and a half years of literally wanting to die? Well, okay. Yeah, like, do you know what I love doing? I love like quitting my childhood dream of being a fashion designer and going to like sit in roads because of the climate crisis. I love that, it's so fun. Having to like sit on in like sunbathe and be like, why is this, why is this so hot? Like not being able to enjoy like just a day in the park because you're like, I can't stop thinking about the weather around me and everything that's going on in the world. Like, yeah, that's what I want for my life actually. Yeah, no, it's really fun. <laughs> Gina attacked me for that. I did I did an Instagram post not too long ago. No, because I do it too. I know the feel like I just know that feeling where you're like, oh god, you can't enjoy anything anymore. Like... Yeah, Mary Hegler, who's one of my favourite climate writers, um, she calls it like climate vision, where you literally just see it everywhere and everything. Like, seriously, even starting this podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, buying a mic, resources, it's not essential. Like all of that stuff goes in my head and I'm like, I'm trying to do a good thing. It's not fun. Activism is not fun. Let's, yeah. No, but it's like, you're right. It is a lens through which you see the world. So like, it just colours everything. And yeah. so everything looks different. I remember Jamie Windus and I, they were saying like, when you do this work, like when the doors open, like you, you can never go back. No. When you find out all this, it's like, oh, that's me done. Like, I'm done now for life. I can't ever yep. forget what I've heard or what I've learned or what I've, the way I see now. It's like everything changed. 
Yeah, I always feel like I have to almost say sorry if I've like radicalized one of my friends. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Your life's changed forever. You should have that on a shirt. Like, I have to. That's just such an activist. Like, I feel like I have to say sorry when I radicalize my friends. <laughs> True though. You're like, I'm sorry I brought this into your life, but you need to know it. Bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bye. See ya. Okay, so you did say, despite all that, like, if you weren't doing activism, if you weren't doing a campaign, if you didn't change the law, you'd be an artist. But you are. You are an artist. You are doing art. I feel free to use this space to go back to that version of Gina, who would only ever be an artist, not a campaigner. Talk about art. Talk about your artistic journey, Gina. That's so <laughs> nice. Yeah, I never get to talk about it. Um, Yeah, well, I when I was a kid, like, I just was always drawing as a tiny, tiny baby and always, like, Anytime I had like spare time, I would just draw or like paint or you know do something creative, and loved it as a kid. And then studied art, um, wasn't very academic in school, and like was good at like drama and art and like all those things, and just loved art. Like in school, I remember I used to just get like palpably excited when I used when it was like two set two. Uh, what were they called? It was like sessions. Of, oh my god, I haven't been at school for so long. Two periods of art. I was like, yeah, double art period. Um, and then went to an art school for a year. And did like a year of like glass blowing and like sculpture and like all different forms of art and then went to an art university and then was like did art does art direction in advertising because I had this concept in my head that like oh I won't be able to make money as an artist so I have to do it in some kind of commercial way so which is weird because like that's the opposite of what my parents taught me like my dad's a drummer and my mum was like painting murals when I was a kid so it's like I don't know why I did that but I went to uni and learned to be an art director which is the person that comes up with the ideas for ads tv ads print ads whatever and then literally like two years into that I remember being like oh my god I miss art because it wasn't art it wasn't it was ideas but it wasn't art it wasn't the physical expression of art and so when I was when I left advertising to do the campaign or I worked in advertising while I was doing the campaign but I left when the law changed um I lost myself quite a lot in that kind of media frenzy that I've explained before and it was like just felt like I was grappling to like hang on to something that that I knew like everything around me had changed my politics my ideologies about the world my feelings about myself my feelings about the way I looked because I was there's pictures of me everywhere like my relationships because some friends really didn't like the work I was doing um everything changed all my boundaries got cut because I just like grow on social media so like everything was shifting like beneath my feet and it was like what do I know what have I always known and art was that thing so I started painting these and I was a very hyper realist art which is in the I used to do like you know portraiture which looked like people it was like quite Mm. realistic and I just tried something different and started doing like these abstract uh, portraits of girls and femmes and was like I tried to sell, I tried to sell five of them during the campaign, and no one bought would buy Just them. Just think how much those people could have sold them for if they'd bought one then. <laughs> Ten times your price. I think I was selling them for like fifteen or twenty pound, and they're originals, and they're like a three. Someone would be rolling in it. <laughs> oh my god! And now, now I and then I, you know, started doing them. I was doing them a little bit in two thousand nineteen. Then when the pandemic hit, I, I spoke to my mum and dad and I was just crying for like three hours because I was just like so much pain in the world everyone is not okay how do I help 
I feel like it's my job because people expect and I want to help, but I don't know how. And mum and dad were like, maybe this isn't like the time for you to help. Maybe this is the time for you to look after yourself because you're in a global pandemic and you've just spent the last four years without an hour to yourself and you've lost all your work for the year and you know I was like okay so I decided okay I'm just gonna do loads of art and then I just was painting and painting and I created a website and I started selling the ink girls and the whole idea around the ink girls was that they'd be reactive which is what I've done so if there's a cause that needs money and needs funds that I know about I will see the cause first and then I'll create art for it and then I'll sell that and then I'll put percentage between 10 and 50 percent into the uh, charity or the cause of the individual that needs it so it just trickles money weekly monthly into different causes and it means when people buy the art they learn about something when they buy it um and I just love it like I just there's nothing when I paint it's like I don't think about anything like I don't think about anything I don't think about how I could phrase something better to get someone to understand it I don't think about whether I'm going to take that job and how I need to look into the ethics of it and I've only got you know five days to do it I don't think about anything I just think about like oh that looks nice doesn't it and it feels so good if only all of life we were allowed to just do that honestly some people go through their entire lives doing that some people are walking around the, the world right now and they're like what a beautiful day and that's where the thinking ends and I'm like imagine just imagine not thinking any of this shit well one day maybe in an idealistic version of the world we're all doing that because all the problems have been solved. <laughs> and how do you think art, I feel like you've maybe touched on this a little bit, like an art and imagination, like that's how you see things, like you're a very visual person. Like how does it help you, you know, take you to that wonderful utopia? Well, I think there's a few ways that it definitely helps me. I think visually, art, like in a more general sense, I think like art and creativity visually, I think it really helps tell stories. And I think people, because you can tell someone something and they, they theoretically understand it. Like when we're learning about stuff, I my process of learning is like, yes, I theoretically understand how that works and why society is like this in this way, A, B, C, D, dots are connecting. And then the more I learn about it, the, it sort of, it becomes mine. Like I feel it and I, and it's like, oh, I know where I sit with that. I've got the instincts on that topic. I know what, like I've really worked through it to the point where it's it's inside me, it's mine now and I can talk about it. And I feel like art and creativity does that faster for people. It like opens people's chests up and it opens people's hearts up to ideas and stories. And that's a really powerful thing because a piece of art or a piece of music or a piece of dance or whatever will make you feel things about something that a piece of someone telling you it would just never, you would just never feel like that about it. So I think it really like, connects us interpersonally and across the world it makes us feel and open ourselves to each other which is like incredibly important but I think also on an individual level like I when I'm doing it and when I create something I'm happier I'm because I've expressed myself I've got something out I feel more balanced and the the happier and more balanced people can feel the better they are to other people like the better people we are that's why like the fight for activism is like basically about basic living rights because there's this constant commentary about activism it's like oh nothing's good enough and you want so much and it's like no no we don't actually like housing and healthcare and equal rights and freedom from violence and like peace is effectively what we're asking for just for people to be able to have basic living rights and they don't people aren't asking for a lot People will have a basic, small, happy life. And that's kind of what they want. We all just want to spend time with people we love and feel Mm. safe. That's kind of all we want. This idea that we're all, like, fighting to be, like, I'm the most successful. Yeah, like, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk can go do that for us. But, like, most people just want to have their nice, comfortable life. 
you know yeah. and and so that comes as well like with with feeling good about yourself and creating something and I think art does that for a lot of people it lets them express themselves it makes them feel heard and seen in a way that lots of other things can't do and that's really important too I'd say maybe this is because you're taking time now to rest yourself like a lot of your art does seem like quite focused on rest and like that's true it's very chill I actually hadn't considered that I actually did a rest for life and I thought well that one's about rest but actually a lot of it is about has that vibe yeah, to it doesn't it that's that's my interpretation like it, it does seem very peaceful when I look at it which is very nice um do you think like channeling that through art can then like if someone has art on their wall it's like it can be a reminder of like that's where we're heading like we're heading for a world where we can all be restful 100 percent. I think that's a beautiful yeah. idea like I I know that the surroundings I'm in make me feel a certain way and I know I'm like colors make me feel certain not like I look at blue and I'm like wow I feel like this like not like that I just more like if I'm surrounded by sorry I'm like on a mic and I'm like looking around my room if you can hear my audio <laughs> disappearing um just like green and blues and just like different colors just make me feel uplifted and they make me feel like myself and joyful and having plants around and like your environment does, I think, really does change how you feel on a, on a day-to-day basis. Do you, do you even know the story about the person who had stripy red and black wallpaper, which is, like, an interesting choice for a bedroom, and they they got the worst migraines, like, debilitating, like, couldn't see lights in their eyes, like, couldn't work, wow. and they were off work for, like, six months, and they went to the doctors. Anyway, couldn't find out what it was, and basically it turned out to be this wallpaper was just, like, affecting their vision and giving them migraines because yeah. it was tripping them out so much. It's like, so your environment really does make you feel a certain way. If you have beautiful paintings that make you feel rested, you have beautiful colours or you have a relaxed environment, that's really good for you, I think. Okay, so ideal world, no red and black stripy wallpaper. Cool, that's, that's all I ask. That's all I ask. That's the only thing I care about in the new world, yeah. So this is... My favourite question of this podcast I'm coming to realise is um, the question of, you've got this one opportunity, what would you invent? And you can be like a guilty sort of activist. You can think out something which is selfish if you really want. I would probably think you wouldn't, but do whatever you want. Big tech dream, whatever. What's your Gina Martin's invention? Isn't it funny how when you ask me that amazing question, I'm like... I, I think about something I would invent and then I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't want to like legitimize that industry by going into that. Or I would like, the, oh, the <laughs> footprint of that would be, it's like, no, Gina, it's a fun game, you idiot. Going back to those people who are just wandering around being, lovely day, you're like, uh, this thing that will never exist. <laughs> I'm trying to think, but I think I'd do something like, oh my God, this is so lame. <laughs> this is not fun. This isn't like cool. I'd invent... Do I have to invent it or can it just be there? So it's like... It can it just... Whatever comes. I want to have animals that can talk. <laughs> that's because I want to know if dogs are like... Oh, that's nice. No, food, cuddle, wow, stick. Like, I want to know if that's how they think. But also, because I think if we could commute... Like, if we could Eliza Thornberry life, I think if we could talk to animals... I think we'd have an amazing understanding of like what they actually need and if they're actually like what we're doing, like what we're taking, what we're. So I, I think I wish I, I wish in a, in our ideal world, I wish that we can communicate with animals. I wonder if the world would change overnight if we suddenly knew what every every other animal was thinking. Oh my god, it 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 would have to like yeah. sliding doors moments can be like if I didn't leave my house that minute, the world would be different. Can you imagine if animals could talk? 
feel like an entirely new world. Oh, one of my favorite animals is squirrels, just because like I just they're so cute, and I can go into my park and they're always there. And I yeah, I'd love to know what the squirrels are thinking. Imagine being able to talk to the squirrels. What do you think they'd speak like? Like real small, like. I'm a squirrel. <laughs> Can't wait to leave that in. <laughs> yeah, don't edit it out. Maybe they'd be really like arrogant because they're like really clamorous. Maybe they'd be like real trust fund babies. I don't know. Jordy, my Ooh. partner, when he came from Australia, he was like, he saw a squirrel and he was like, oh my God. And I was like, what? And he was like, look at it. I was like, yes, yeah, a squirrel. And he was like, that's fucking so cute. That's me every time I see a squirrel. I'm just like, oh my God. That's why I'm like with everything. It's like everything's a wonder that's outside. On, yeah, honestly, if you just make everything which seems normal and like you've just, you know, it's it's always been that. If you change it on its head and go, that's amazing. It makes life so much more enjoyable. Now squirrels are just the best thing. I love that you said that because I... I always used to get the piss taken out of me because I always had this, I would always start things with like, yeah, but if an alien came down, everyone would be like, yes, we get it. We'd be like wobbly long things and we'd put silver liquid in our holes in our face. We get it, Gina. I was like, yeah, but think about it. And they're like, no, we know. We know because you say it about everything. <laughs> it's like, it's true though. It really helps you see the world for what it is, which is amazing. What is one thing that people could do to kind of, embrace or create that lovely version of the world um that you know is restful and joyful and creative uh think about the things that before you became an adult and there were you were there was expectations of you think about the things that made you feel most like yourself so think about just the pure joys in your life when you were growing up and come back to them as an adult and explore them again because we all lose all those things because we go into work and we become parents and all that but explore those things that like were just in you as a kid that you loved that everyone has those some of them will be really really buried some of them won't but find those again because I feel like creatively fulfilled people people that feel most like themselves not what the world's expecting of them are happier and then just let every single person around you be who they are unless they're hurting other people. doesn't matter what, what their belief system or what they do or what they look like or sound like. Just let everyone around you just be who they are. Just let's start there. Do you know what I mean? And if they are hurting other people, you speak up about it. Do like, something, yes. Is there anything else you want to add? Any, any other... You got any news to share? You got any book recommendations? Anything else helpful we can leave people with? I should... Tell you that my paperback, my book, Be the Change Toolkit for the Activist in You, is out on June third. You can you can get that now, folks. <laughs> that's great. So it's out now, and that's just full of practical tips, even from like things you can switch out in your house to be more um, intentional with where you put your money and vote with your pound. Even from that to how to like start campaigns and push for things you care about, I would say just. Um, read that book but also pick up books and podcasts and shows by people who don't look and sound like you and just listen to people who don't have the experiences you have and just make that part of your life well this has been lovely it's been a lovely conversation i feel very joyful and i'm gonna go out and yeah just embrace the world i want to live in that world now me too <laughs> one day <laughs> 
if you enjoyed this episode and want to follow the podcast elsewhere, then you can find it on Instagram at, at @idealisticallypod and on Twitter at, at @idealisticallyp. You can find me at, at @tolmea, which is spelled T O L M E I A. And all the information, book recommendations, everything else you could ever possibly want will be in the description to the episode. Please feel free to leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are able to. Give it a like, give it a share, send it to your friends. I will be very grateful. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. Um, a guy in my park that I have named the squirrel guy. Um, I don't think he will ever listen to this podcast or know who I am, but he goes around with a little tub of nuts for the squirrels and he also takes photos of them. Yeah, that's. I think that's the big takeaway from this episode is... Uh, be that guy. Be a squirrel guy. Yes. <laughs>